You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome to the program, friends. Welcome to Corbett Report Radio. I am your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you live this Wednesday night. So once again, thank you for joining us on tonight's broadcast. And for all of you out there listening in Radioland, let me once again remind you all that this radio broadcast is also available as a video podcast from CorbettReport.com. A few hours after tonight's broadcast airs, the uh, the video will go up there, so you can go and watch that or, and or download it and or spread the link around in order to help propagate this information even further. So your support out there in doing that is always appreciated, as is your support with this. And for those of you who aren't watching the uh, the video, I am holding in my hands one of the DVDs that I sell at CorbettReport.com that just fell out of my hand, <laughs> so it wouldn't be a blank empty case like this, but uh, but I have these DVDs for sale, and when you purchase a DVD, you help to make this program possible, even as you get valuable information for yourself that, again, you can help to spread around and pass on to others, which is the real point of all of this. I'd also like to remind everyone once again about my weekly newsletter, also available at CorbettReport.com slash support comes out every Saturday with a brand new editorial that also appears in the International Forecaster, but I send it out to my subscribers via the newsletter. It contains all the links to all of the sources that I quote in uh, the newsletter articles, and also it contains some uh, links to recommended reading and viewing. Uh, Once a month I put out a subscriber-only video, and once again you can get that for as little as 100 Japanese yen a month. That's just over a dollar. $1.25 $1.25 or so a month, and that helps to keep this uh, broadcast coming to you. And tonight we're going to talk to about a subject that I trust is near and dear to the hearts of many of the listeners out there, because certainly it's something that I deal with in my own life, and I'm pretty sure that if you're into this type of information, you've dealt with it too. And that's the uh, the people out there who call you one of those conspiracy theorists. Oh, you're t- you're talking about the the Batman movie shooting as if there might be something to this other than just one crazy lunatic with a gun. You must be a conspiracy theorist. Oh, you think you think Andrew Breitbart dropped dead on the street at the age of forty, whatever he was, forty six or or whatever he was, uh, just dropped dead just hours before he was going to release a bombshell video on Obama. Uh, Come on, you must be a conspiracy theorist. I mean, after all, they released the video, and it was just a a video of one of his college professors talking about socialism. (laughs) It was nothing, clearly nothing to uh, to get worked up about. So you're a crazy conspiracy theorist. Oh, you want to continue talking about 9-11? Just get over it, man. That was the past. Are you one of those crazy conspiracy theorists? And yes, with that one little rhetorical flourish, those types of people think that they can flush down all of the years of research that many of the listeners out there have been doing, the painstaking research and the piecing together of various facts that show that the lies that we have been taught since we were children are just that. They are just lies that have been strung together out of whole cloth in order in order to make believe that the political system, as it's presented to you on the mainstream news channels, is the actual political system that is in charge of governing our respective countries. Well, newsflash to those out there who don't know, of course there are powers behind the scenes, powers that are not talked about or acknowledged on any of the mainstream news networks, and that have uh, documented history going back 
well, decades, centuries, millennia, however far you want back you want to take it. And uh, just brandishing the word conspiracy theory like it was some sort of magical flourish will do nothing to get rid of that actual documented history. But in the spirit of, well, if you can't beat them, join them. Tonight, we're going to join them, and we're going to call out all of those conspiracy theorists throughout history who have come out with their crazy conspiracy theories about the way the world really operates that is different than the official published histories. So we're going to call out those crazy conspiracy theorists on the program tonight. I hope you'll be there with me. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll start getting those thought criminals put to justice, and we'll call them out by name. Brothers, sisters, fellow countrymen, I bring you dire warning of a diabolical group that is hatching evil schemes and plots within our midst. I have in my possession the very papers on which they scribbled their own confessions of their heinous treachery, their vile, infamous, disgusting ramblings, their their grotesque thoughts that somehow there is something amiss in the reign of our most wonderful and beloved regent, George III. They scrawl upon these very papers the most heinous and disgusting vile insults and, yes, lies about our wonderful, worthy leader. (sighs) Words can almost not describe the disgusting nature of these, these heinous accusations, but... But I feel I must lay them out before you. These, these vile conspiracy theories that they have, they have laid down on these documents are so, so disgusting, so disturbing that I suggest that you brace yourself for what you're about to hear. Of course, all of these are lies, and our wonderful, dear regent, George III, would never do any of this. But here they are nonetheless in the words of the very conspirators against his reign. He has refused his assent to laws, the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance, unless suspended in their operation till his assent should be obtained, and when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend to them. He has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people, unless those people would relinquish the right of representation in the legislature, a right inestimable to them and formidable to tyrants only. He has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing with manly firmness his invasions on the rights of the people. He has refused for a long time after such dissolutions to cause others to be elected, whereby the legislative powers, incapable of annihilation, have returned to the people at large for their exercise, the state remaining in the meantime exposed to all the dangers of invasion from without and convulsions within. He has endeavored to prevent the populations of these states for that purpose obstructing the laws for naturalization of foreigners, refusing to pass others to encourage their migrations hither and raising the conditions of new appropriations of lands. He has obstructed the administration of, justed, of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers. He has made judges dependent on his will alone for the tenure of their offices and the amount and payment of their salaries. 
he has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. He has kept among us, amongst us in times of peace standing armies without the consent of our legislatures. He has effected to render the military independent of and superior to the civil power. He has combined with others to subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, giving his assent to their acts of pretended legislation, for quartering large bodies of armed troops among us, for protecting them by a mock trial from punishment for any murders which they should commit on our on the inhabitants of these states, for cutting off our trade with all parts of the world, for imposing taxes on us without our consent, for depriving us in many cases of the benefits of trial by jury, for transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses, for abolishing the free system of English laws in a neighboring province, establishing therein an arbitrary government, and enlarging its boundaries so as to render it once at once an example and fit instrument for introducing the same absolute rule into these colonies." for taking away our charters, abolishing our most valuable laws, and altering fundamentally the forms of our government, for suspending our own legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. He has abdicated government here by declaring us out of his protection and waging war against us. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. He is at this time transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries, mercenaries to complete the work of death, desolation, and tyranny already begun with circumstances of cruelty and perfidy scarcely paralleled in this most barbarous age and totally unworthy of the head of a civilized nation. He has constrained our fellow citizens taken captive on the high seas to bear arms against their country, to become the executioners, executioners of their friends and brethren, or to fall themselves by their hands. He has excited domestic insurrections amongst us and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers, the merciless Indian savages, whose known rule of warfare is an un undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions." In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Yes, my friends, this diabolical scheme to actually oust King George III and the real rulers of this country, the Redcoats, from the shores of the New World has been discovered. I have cracked the code, this secret document which they have issued. They call it their, their Declaration of Independence. Well, all I see here are vile conspiracy theories and lies told about the wonderful and most supreme ruler of the world, really, of King George III. And this this vile document has been rendered by someone of the name of Thomas Jefferson, a vile conspiracy theorist, if ever there was one. And I even have uncovered 
a rendering of his likeness. Ah, ah, cower in fear at this traitorous, treacherous, treasonous, terrorist scum. Ah, Thomas Jefferson, this, this vile conspiracy theorist, he must be brought to justice for these vile words, actually accusing the government, which has served him so faithfully these many years, of actually conspiring against him. What kind of craziness is this? What madness has touched his forehead and made him come spew forth with all this this disgusting perfidy, this vile treachery that he has set to paper. He has incriminated himself in his own words, in this declaration of independence. Well, I'm glad that will never catch on. Well, my friends, I'm afraid there are more examples of this. There are many, many more from people who you would least expect to come out with these types of vile conspiracy theories. And one of them, yes, one of them has been the president of these United States of America. Writing in a book called The New Freedom, our beloved President Woodrow Wilson wrote, quote, When a small group of men approached Congress in order to induce the committee concerned to concur in certain legislation, nobody knows the ramifications of the interests which those men represent. There seems no frank and open action of public opinion in public counsel, but every man is suspected of representing some other man, and it is not known where his connections begin or end. I am one of those who have been so fortunately circumstanced that I have had the opportunity to study the, study the way in which these things come about in complete disconnection from them, and I do not suspect that any man has deliberately planned the system. I am not so uninstructed and misinformed as to suppose that there is a deliberate and malevolent combination somewhere to dominate the government of the United States. I merely say that by certain processes now well known and perhaps natural in themselves, there has come about an extraordinary and very sinister concentration in the control of business in this country. However it has come about, it is more important still that the control of credit also has become dangerously centralized. It is the mere truth to say that the financial resources of the country are not at the command of those who do not submit to the direction and de domination of small groups of capitalists who wish to keep the economic development of the country under their own eye and guidance. The great monopoly in this country is the monopoly of big credits. So long as that exists, our old variety and freedom and individual energy of development are out of the question. A great industrial nation is controlled by its system of credit. Our system of credit is privately concentrated. The growth of the nation, therefore, and all our activities are in the hands of a few men who, even if their actions be honest and intended for the public interest, are necessarily concentrated upon the great undertakings in which their own money is involved, and who necessarily, by very reason of their own limitations, chill and check and destroy genuine economic freedom. This is the greatest question of all, and to this statesmen must address themselves with an earnest determination to serve the long future in the true liberties of men. This money trust, or as it should more properly be called, this credit trust, of which Congress has begun an investigation, is no myth. It is no imaginary thing. It is not an ordinary trust like another. It doesn't do business every day. It does business only when there is occasion to do business. You can sometimes do something large when it isn't watching, but when it is watching, you can't do much. 
And I have seen men squeezed by it. I've seen men who, as they themselves expressed it, were put out of business by Wall Street because Wall Street found them inconvenient and didn't want their competition. And a quotation. Well, my friends, that was our previous president, Woodrow Wilson, the esteemed and glorious Woodrow Wilson, who helped to bring in that most beloved of federal institutions, the Federal Reserve, which we know is neither federal nor a reserve, but that's beside the point. It is still a beloved and wonderful expression of the system of credit of the, the country, of really the spirit of the American people to be crushed by, the, I, mean, I mean, to be lovingly rendered up by a very small group of highly, highly dubious characters. But still, for Woodrow Wilson to write such vile accusations of this is nothing more than treachery and treasonous activity, and he will pay for his unbelievably vile conspiracy theories. Well, my friends, there is many, many, many more examples of that. Let's take a short break, and we'll be right back. My fellow countrymen, Tonight I bring you warnings of the vile conspiracy theorists among us, amongst us. People like Thomas Jefferson, people like Woodrow Wilson, people that write as if there's some sort of power behind the throne. We all know there's no power beyond what we see on the day-to-day news. We all know that the president is really the one that's in control of the whole shebang. We know that the system functions exactly as it has been set out in the history books, and to speak anything otherwise is the most vile and heinous conspiracy theorizing and should not be tolerated by anyone, be it someone like Thomas Jefferson or Woodrow Wilson or even James Forrestal, the first Secretary of Defense of the United States. Take a good look at his visage, friends, because here, in that otherwise respectable countenance, lies a conspiracy theorist. Listen to what he told Joe McCarthy. And Joe McCarthy recounts this in his own words from his own biography. Upon my return to the United States from serving in the Marines in the Pacific in World War II, I discovered that our wise, long-time foreign policy was being scuttled. Scuttled without the approval of either of America's two great political parties. At that time, I frankly had no idea that traitors were responsible. In my campaign for the United States Senate in 1946, I referred to the State Department planners as starry-eyed planners, drifting from crisis to crisis like a group of blind men leading blind men through a labyrinth of their own creation. I then thought that we were losing to international communism merely because of abysmal incompetence. At that time, I had not even heard the names of many of whom I was later to expose and force out of policy-making jobs. Many of them I have discussed for the first time by a man who was later to be hounded to his death by the communists. I arrived in Washington in December 1946, about two weeks before being sworn in as senator. Three days later, my administrative assistant and I received an invitation to have lunch with Jim Forrestal. I have often wondered how the extremely busy Secretary of the Navy discovered that a freshman senator had arrived in town and why he took so much time out to discuss the problems which were so deeply disturbing him. More than an equal number of times, I have thanked God that he did. Before meeting Jim Forrestal, we were losing to, I thought we were losing to international communism because of incompetence and stupidity on the part of our planners. I mentioned that to Forrestal. I shall forever remember his answer. He said, McCarthy, consistency has never been a mark of stupidity. 
if they were merely stupid, they would occasionally make a mistake in our favor. This phrase struck me so forcefully that I have often used it since. Well, friends, we all know that that Joe McCarthy was a wild-eyed conspiracy theorist, and there is no one who has ever really infested the halls or corridors of power who have held to the ideals of collectivism. That was just a witch hunt, and there was nothing behind it, nothing to it. Yes, there was the Reese Committee investigation and, and the other investigations into the tax-free, tax-exempt foundations, but, but don't pay any attention to those. Those were more conspiracy theorists, conspiracy theorists conducting congressional investigations, and they've all been swept under the rug. I mean, they've all been consigned to their rightful place in history. So we don't have to really concentrate on them, and we don't have to listen to the ramblings of this insane conspiracy theorist McCarthy or his conspiracy brethren, Jim Forrestal, Secretary of the Navy and First Secretary of Defense of the United States. Oh, indeed. Well, consistency has never been a mark of stupidity, Forrestal said. If they were merely stupid, they would occasionally make a mistake in our favor. What, you mean to say that a, some sort of design, some, some sort of design can be evinced from all of these individual instances of things adding up towards some sort of goal? Ugh, what a ridiculous idea. We all know that everything is disconnected and nothing has any meaning. So why would they ever try to string together meaning from any of this? Well, my friends, I'm afraid it gets even worse. Yes, this idea, this conspiracy theorist meme has been propagated on into future generations by even more and even more well-respected gentlemen, such as Carol Quigley, that professor at Georgetown University, who was name-checked by no less than our former president, our glorious leader Bill Clinton, when he received the Democratic nomination for presidency back in 1992. And he name-checked Carol Quigley as his mentor, who gave him his call to, to become one of the great pantheon of presidents who has done nothing wrong and never will because they are perfect by the time they are elected into office in a fair and square election. Well, my friends, Carol Quigley wrote a book called Tragedy and Hope, which I recommend you never read. You should never look at that vile literature with all of its vile hatred, scorn, and putrid lies. It's conspiracy theorizing. Oh, yes. Yes, he was a well-decorated university professor, but don't let that fool you. Don't listen to him when he tells you about how the world is really working. We know that the world really works by complete happenstance, and, and it's like billiard balls rolling around on a pool table. Who knows where they'll end up? Oh, yes, you could use physics to actually find out the trajectory and where things will end up, but I think that's conspiracy theorizing, too, just as it's conspiracy theorizing when Carol Quigley goes into the secret records of the Council on Foreign Relations and other organizations to try to piece together some meaning behind history. What a ridiculous idea. Well, these conspiracy theorists are being called out in royal fashion today, my friends, and we'll continue doing that after we take a short message from our sponsors. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. Well, ladies and gentlemen, tonight we're going over the vile conspiracy theorizing of some of the most pernicious people ever to put pen to paper who are absolutely ridiculous in their ideas of how this world really works. So, I, it's with great regret that I expose your ears to the vile infamy of Carol Quigley esteemed professor of history at Georgetown University. The powers of financial capitalism had a far-reaching aim, 
nothing less than to create a world system of financial control in private hands able to dominate the political system of each country and the economy of the world as a whole. The system was to be controlled in a feudalist fashion by the central banks of the world acting in concert, by secret agreements arrived at in frequent private meetings and conferences. The apex of the system was to be the Bank for International Settlements in Basel, Switzerland, a private bank owned and controlled by the world's central banks, which were themselves private corporations. Each central bank in the hands of men like Morgan Montague Norman of the Bank of England, Benjamin Strong of the New York Federal Reserve Bank, Charles Rist of the Bank of France, and Hjalmar Schacht of the Reichsbank, sought to dominate its government by its ability to control treasury loans, to manipulate foreign exchanges, to influence the level of economic activity in the country, and to influence cooperative politicians by subsequent economic rewards in the business world. The commander-in-chief of the world system of banking control was Montague Norman, governor of the Bank of England, who was built up by the private bankers to a position where he was regarded as an oracle in all manners, government and business. In January 1924, Reginald McKenna, who had been Chancellor of the Exchequer in 1915 to 1916, as Chairman of the Board of the Midland Bank, told its stockholders, I am afraid the ordinary citizen will not like to be told that the banks can and do create money. And they who control the credit of the nation, direct the policy of government, and hold in the hollow of their hands the destiny of the people. Montague Norman's position may be gathered from the fact that his predecessors in the governorship, almost a hundred of them, had served two-year terms, increased rarely in times of crisis. But Norman held the position for 24 years. Norman was a strange man whose mental outlook was of successful suppressed hysteria or even paranoia. He had no use for governments and feared democracy. Both of these seemed to him to be threats to private banking. Strong-willed, tireless, and ruthless, he viewed his life as a kind of cloak-and-dagger struggle with the forces of sound money. Norman had, devoted, had a devoted colleague in Benjamin Strong, the first governor of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Strong owed his career to the favor of the Morgan Bank. He became governor of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York as the joint nominee of Morgan and of Kuhn, Loeb and Company in 1914. Two years later, Strong met Norman for the first time, and they at once made an agreement to work in cooperation for the financial practices they both revered. In the 1920s, they were determined to use the financial power of Britain and of the United States to force all major countries of the world to go to the gold standard and to operate it through central banks free from all political control, with all questions of international finance to be settled by agreements by such central banks without interference from governments. It must not be felt that these heads of the world's chief banks, central banks, were themselves substantive powers in world finance. They were not. Rather, they were the technicians and agents of the dominant investment bankers of their own countries who had raised them up and were perfectly capable of throwing them down. The substantive financial powers of the world were in the hands of these investment bankers who remained largely behind the scenes in their own unincorporated private banks. These formed a system of international cooperation and national dominance which was more private, more powerful, and more secret than, of their, than that of their agents in the central banks. This dominance of investment bankers were based, was based on their control over the flows of credit and investment funds in their own countries and throughout the world. They could dominate the financial and industrial systems of their own countries by their influence over the flow of current funds through bank loans, the discount rate, and the rediscounting of commercial debts. 
They could dominate governments by their control over government loans and the play of the international exchanges. In this system, the Rothschilds had been preeminent during much of the 19th century, but at the end of that century, they were replaced by J.P. Morgan, whose central office was in New York, although it was already it was always operated as if it were in London, where it had indeed originated as George Peabody and Company in 1838. The growth of financial capitalism made possible a centralization of world economic control and a use of this power for the direct benefit of financiers and the indirect injury of all other economic groups. What blasphemy, my brethren, what blasphemy to even dare suggest that people like the wonderful Ben Bernanke, our hero, our savior during this economic crisis, is anything like a technician or a a puppet that these banksters have somehow built up and could discard at any time. Everyone knows that he is the oracle of Wall Street. He is the sage from which all fount of economic wisdom flows, just as Alan Greenspan before him. Of course, Alan Greenspan himself used to be one of those vile conspiracy theorists who wrote about how the current Federal Reserve System is a complete smoke and mirrors system. But he he saw the truth and the light, and he joined the good side, and he became the head of the Federal Reserve. Therefore, he was plucked out of the grasp of these vile, treacherous conspiracy theorists and into the land of reality, where we know that the chairman of the Federal Reserve is nothing more than a faithful public servant who is faithfully executing his office for the benefit of all, and not for the benefit of a few financiers. What a ridiculous suggestion. Only a conspiracy theorist's warped and twisted mind would think along those lines. Well, listen to what else Carol Quigley wrote. This one, this one is particularly vile. The argument that the two parties should represent opposed ideals and policies, one perhaps of the right and the other of the left, is a foolish idea, acceptable only to doctrinaire and academic thinkers. Instead, the two parties should be almost identical so that the American people can throw the rascals out at any election without leading to any profound or extreme shifts in policy. One wonders how one could even be so deluded and deranged as to come up with a sentence like that, as if there's no difference between Obama and Romney, as if there was no difference between Obama and Bush. There's a huge difference. I mean, Bush, Bush started two illegal wars of aggression. He started the Department of Homeland Security and the war on terror paradigm and the stripping away of the Fourth Amendment and and uh, attacks on basically every other amendment in the Bill of Rights, that, that vile, treacherous, conspiracy theorist document, as if the government would try to take away your rights. What a ridiculous idea. Well, yes, George Bush did all that, but Obama, Obama did even more. Obama has a executive kill list. He can he can put Americans on this kill list and kill them at any time. That's quite different than what Bush was arguing. You see, there is a difference between left and right. I tell you, these conspiracy theorists come up with strange ideas. But perhaps one of the most vile conspiracy theorists of all, one of the ones that, that absolutely spouts these most ridiculous fantasies in a way that just can't be established or backed up by anything resembling facts, is someone by the name of Sibel Edmonds. 
Yes, this former FBI translator. She she was on the good side, but she turned to the dark side of conspiracy theorizing when she dared to question what it was what was actually happening at the FBI. And yes, sure, she actually worked there, and she's talking about her own experiences and what she actually observed firsthand. But even so, I refuse to believe her because it goes against what I think this world is really like. So I definitely recommend that no one goes out and reads that vile conspiracy textbook of hers, the classified woman that talks about her time in the FBI and what she actually saw when she was working there. That's all conspiracy theorizing and strange dogma coming out of her vile mouth. And one of her co-conspirators at her BoilingFrogsPost.com is Peter B. Collins, who hosts his own internet radio show and podcast, and he was vile enough to invite this Sibel Edmonds on his program just a few short months ago to talk about her vile, horrible, disgusting, treacherous document, Classified Woman, which no one should go out and buy at BoilingFrogsPost.com in order to support that independent alternative news outlet. And Peter B. Collins talked to Sibel Edmonds about this very point, about this conspiracy theorizing that the government is out to actually strip people of their rights. What a ridiculous idea. Well, friends, I have a recording of their conversation that I'd like to share with you where they talk about these vile conspiracy theories so you can hear them indict themselves in their own words. Let's listen. Now, Sibel, Judge Walton ultimately ruled against you without hearing any evidence. It was appealed and appealed again, and the Supreme Court declined to hear your case. At any step of the appeals process, did you have any real hope that things would change? By the time that I, I went through the appellate court session, this was when I was being represented by the ACLU, and they had a very good team, and they did a very good job preparing for this court, the, the hearing, and we showed up there. We went inside the court, and the court said the reporters and everybody else should get out of the court. This was going to be a closed hearing without citing any reason. These were the three judges on the, on the bench, and even my husband had to leave. So basically it was eight attorneys from the FBI DOJ, all in trench coats. That day it was raining, so they were all wearing their trench coats, okay? <laughs> I can visualize it. And on the right-hand side, there was me and my ACLU, two attorneys, three attorneys sitting there, and four of us. And, and, the, and the process starts, so my attorney stands up, goes, and, 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 and gives her introduction, the case, presents the case. Then she comes back, she sits down, and that's when the government goes and argues before the judges, right, the three judges. So after my attorney said, the judges said, uh, before the government proceeds, now we want the plaintiff, that's me, and all the ACLU attorneys uh, evacuate the courtroom, go out, uh, escorted by the security guards. Why? Because whatever government is going to argue is secret. Now... Anybody who's listening to this interview, ask yourself, how can you have a court session when one of the parties can't be present to hear the arguments of the other party? How can you respond to an argument you can't hear? This itself, again, is unprecedented. You name one case when this has occurred. Well, the, the only one that comes close is uh, an interview that you and I did a few months back with John Eisenberg the attorney who represented the Al-Haramain charity, and this was the single case so far 
where they've been able to establish that they were, in fact, wiretapped, and they won a judgment against the government for illegal wiretapping. And in that case, Eisenberg was repeatedly uh, told to submit briefs in response to government arguments that he wasn't permitted to see. (laughs) Right. How do you do that? I mean, that basically defies the entire justice system that you're supposed to be, you know, believe in, that it's supposed to work on. Basically, what it comes down to, it says, no, you can go against corporations. It may be a tough battle. You can have all sorts of other things. You can still make sounds. You can do all the stuff you know, under the Constitution and our laws, etc. But you can't do anything when it comes to the government. Because there, are, there is no higher authority than the executive branch. The courts are lower. This is, what has, this, this, this is exactly what has happened since 9-11. Yeah. The Congress is irrelevant. There is this God. It's called government. You can't sue them. They can't do anything they want. They can declare your birthplace classified without having to justify it, your languages. Now, basically, they can throw you in jail, you know, with indefinite detention. They don't have to justify it. Let's say they can justify it uh, in secret with some judges, and you, and that judge's background is all classified in some room. You don't know how they have justified. You can't argue against it or for it. This is this is the this is the circumstances that we are living under today in the United States. So, in fact, the Constitution, the entire Constitution, in a way, at least the backbone of our laws, you know, the First Amendment, your Fourth, it has been suspended. It has been put on hold since 9-11. It no longer applies, you know. Maybe it's like some sort of a thing that should be treated, the Constitution should be treated as archive, historic museum material, because in practice, when it comes to the government, it no longer applies. There is no such a thing as U.S. Constitution with First Amendment, Fourth Amendment, Fifth Amendment. It's nullified. It's moved. This is what everything shows. Every single one of our cases, whether it's with that Eisenberg or it's with me, with any of those U.S. citizens who've gone through this. And because of that, then everything else should be thrown out, including celebrating Fourth of July. Or people should say, you know, this is what the founding fathers warned us against. We have one enemy, and that enemy is the government. Because Bin Laden and Al-Qaeda didn't take away our constitution. They did not hate our freedom. The government hates the freedom and hated our freedom and took it away. And today, if Thomas Jefferson was alive, he would definitely be detained under NDAA. And he would be declared as someone who is either an anarchist or aiding abating some... Uh, some terrorist, a radical, a conspiracy theorist. Today, Thomas Jefferson would be on the blacklist. They would not let him fly. The TSA would have him on no-fly list. You see, friends, you see, she admits it herself. She admits company with this pernicious character, this this Thomas Jefferson Ah, unbelievable. I can't believe how they put it on the record like that, that they stand for this declaration of independence and what it stood for, and that they agree that that from time to time governments do get tyrannical and out of control and need to be overturned in order to be made straight again. Unbelievable, these these vile conspiracy theorists. I can't believe where they get their crazy ideas. And then they have the gall to admit it. Oh, Oh, unbelievable. Well, this is this is so much information, friends, that I'm not sure that I can take it, and I, I'm not sure if you can take it out there, but 
Perhaps the worst part of all is that I've heard that their numbers are growing. Yes, the ranks of these conspiracy theorists are swelling day by day, as more and more people start to listen to these crazy ideas, and to actually contemplate the idea that the government, as we've been told to believe in it, is not the most wonderful, loving, swaddling, mothering, parenting thing that it could ever exist that should just wrap us all up and take care of us from, from our cradle to our grave, but is something that is actually to be feared, that actually can come for the citizens from time to time when it gets out of control. I've never heard anything so ridiculous in my life, but amazingly, more and more people are listening to these people, and they, they have their own networks, like the Republic Broadcasting Network, and they have they have websites like CorbettReport.com where they congregate and they share these ideas out there in the open, as if these ideas were something to be to be proud of. <sighs> My friends, I don't know what to do about this growing, swelling chorus of people who are actually contemplating these ideas, but but hopefully together we can keep them repressed by only supporting alternative... Uh, uh, sorry, sorry, oh, I've, I've made the ultimate thought crime. By only supporting the mainstream corporate media and by only buying religiously the, the Time magazines and the Newsweeks and only watching the MSNBCs and the Fox News and only subscribing to those worldviews, that is the way out, surely, friends. Well, be that as it may... <laughs> Let's break character for a moment. Okay, so that, my friends, is at the very least a brief overview of the conspiracy theorists among us. So we're going to take another short break, but when we come back, we'll be back to wrap things up and to continue going over the conspiracy theorists among us and what their plans really are. Okay, friends, welcome back to Corbett Report Radio here on this Wednesday night, and I hope you uh, enjoyed the performance, or at the very least, I hope you got some interesting information out of tonight's broadcast as we looked at some, just a few of the select quotations from people over the years who have uh, first-hand experience to know of what they speak, who have confirmed everything that we talk about on this broadcast many, 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 many times over. And again, we've only just scratched the surface, but those are some of the most readily available and uh, easily accessible quotations along these lines that you can whip out the next time someone wants to throw that conspiracy theory pejorative at you and pretend that with that mere flourishing of that phrase that they can throw away all of the documented facts that uh, underlie all of this information. So, uh, so once again, I mean... It, it is ridiculous to think of Thomas Jefferson as uh, a conspiracy theorist, but that's exactly what the Founding Fathers were when they came up with their theory that King George III, in fact, wasn't working in their interests and that the uh, the British were, in fact, not there to, to take care of them and that they, in fact, needed their own government. That was a conspiracy theory in its day and age, every bit as much as the conspiracy theory that the American government had a hand in what happened on 9-11, for example. And uh, the people back then were divided just as deeply, if not more so, uh, as they are today. And we have to keep that in mind, that what we're going through right now is just another extension of what people have been going through for century after century after century, as the powers that shouldn't be always attempt to, to cloak themselves and make themselves invisible so that they are less easily decapitated. Kings and queens can have their heads cut off when the revolution comes, but the banksters always live to 
fight another day, not even fight another day, to, to swindle another day from behind the scenes, and they have erected such a complete system of control that it is almost mind-boggling to comprehend, and that's why so many people prefer to distance themselves from this information when they hear it, and that's all that that phrase, conspiracy theory, is. It's just a mental crutch that people use because they are scared to look at the information that contradicts their worldview. And I'm not saying that in a diminishing way or a pejorative way or making fun of those people because we have all been there and done that at some point or another. We've all had our mental defenses up against new information at some point because it threatens the way we look at the world. But I'm here today to at least uh, get some people's thoughts going into how we can counteract and deflect those claims of conspiracy theorizing. And as I said at the beginning of tonight's broadcast, I'm sure everyone out there who listens to this broadcast has encountered this from time to time when they try to take this information to other people and to tell them what's going on in the world. I'm sure we've all been confronted with that phrase, conspiracy theory. So if uh, you guys out there have your own strategies for dealing with that, by all means, I'm all ears. Let me know contact form corbettreport.com you can tweet me at corbettreport or you can join me on air live tomorrow night uh, we'll be taking calls as we uh, go over headlines and get uh, James Evan Pilato on the line for Food World Order so on that note we're going to wrap things up for another evening so it's been a pleasure and uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you all once again about 23 hours from now so until then thank you all so much for listening and take care <laughs>